This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Syraclad. The Syraclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 day self-cleaning and a 20 year fade limited warning. This high performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit Syraclad.com. For our guest today, we're really honored and excited to welcome Robert Swat, fellow of the American Institute of Architects and principal of Swat Myers. Their studio offers architecture, planning, interior design, and facility programming services to individual, corporate, public service, and institutional clients on a wide spectrum and building of building types. The firm was formed as a merger of two long-established San Francisco Bay Area firms, SWAT Architects and George Myers and Associates, with the goal of creating a practice that consistently creates beautiful, sustainable, and user-responsive buildings while offering their clients the highest level of design, management, and principal-oriented services. You can find them on the web at SWATMyers.com. That's S-W-A-T-T-M-I-E-R-S.com. Robert. Thanks for being on the show. Really happy to have you here. Thanks so much for inviting me, Tom. Appreciate it. Robert, as we, we talked about before we came on the show, we'd like to start it with a, a quote. And you, you've got one, and uh, I'm sure your audience is going to love to hear it and how it relates to you and, and your work. Sure. Um, the quote that really resonates with me, it's a Frank Gehry quote, And it goes something like this. It says that architecture should be of our time and our place, but strive for timelessness. And I love that. Strive for timeless. Right. What's that mean for you, to strive for timelessness? Well, for me, and I've given this a lot of thought over the years, timeless architecture, for me, responds to... What I, call, what I call the basic principles of great modern architecture. And, and, and those are, they're basically three. And, and, the, and the first one for me, and these are, not, uh, these are not meant to be for other people. These are just what, what, the ideas that are most important to me, the principles. And the first one is that architecture needs to be knitted to the land. And that doesn't mean that it looks like the land, and it doesn't mean that it has a slope roof that mimics the contours of the land, but it means that it fits and it's designed to work with topography, features of the land, trees, views, wind, all of that, sun. Uh, And so that when you look at a building that's been designed that way, you, you have this aha moment where you just say, wow, this is perfect on the site. And I, I can see this building here. I can't even imagine another building here. And when I see this building, I can't imagine it anywhere else. And when you achieve that, you have this knitting of building and land that works so well that I, I, think, I think that's a timeless principle. 
The second one has to do with space. And we design from the inside out, not the other way around. So space is very, very important to us. And so the second one is about open planning. And that has to do with our lifestyles, which are, let's say, not so formal. They're more there. They're more informal than previous generations. And so when people think of open planning, they think of like corporate open planning. I think of it as just in terms of fewer walls, fewer doors, more connectivity. And I love to think of open planning vertically as well as horizontally, because that creates not only connectivity, it creates really exciting spaces. And that's very important to me as well. So that's the, that's the second one. And the third one is the one that you hear everybody talking about, especially on the West Coast. And that's connecting inside and outside. And that's done through using lots of glass and having that, you know, visually to make that connection. And it's done physically by having doors that either bifold away or slide away to really connect the user of the home to, to the outdoors. So those are the three principles that are most important to me and that I think about every time I'm designing a project. Now they can, you can, you can use a variety of languages of architecture to do that. But if those are your three basic tenets of, of the work that you're doing, I think you're headed in the right direction to architecture, which might stand the test of time and be timeless. Terrific, terrific description. Although there's three, it must have taken a tremendous amount of time and work to make it this simple and distill it to this level. What's, what's your take on that, Robert? Well, I, it's, it's funny that you asked that question. Um, you know, early on in my career, I did a lot of corporate work, but I always wanted to do homes. That's something that I, you know, since the day I decided to become an architect, that's what I wanted to do. I grew up around really amazing, wonderful works of architecture in LA. I grew up around the work of Schindler and Neutra, Greg Ain and Ray Cappy, and all those wonderful and great architects. And that's what I always wanted to do. But I was doing a lot of corporate work. And then one day after the Berkeley mm. Oakland fire, which I think was 91, and some architects were getting work to do in the Berkeley and Oakland Hills. And we we got a, a you know our fair share. We had like three homes that we did, which were not modern homes because most people at that time didn't want modern homes. And uh, I decided that since I wanted to do the work of those, you know, like the work of the masters that I grew up around, I said, I better build one. So I decided to do a spec house. And I was so excited that I hadn't done a house in so long, I threw everything at it that I could think of. And so it had leaning walls and it had roofs with crazy shapes and it had colors and all sorts of crazy things. And I loved the design. I was so excited. It was gonna get published and photographed. I was very excited. Here, here it is, I'm doing this great new house. And I loved it when it was finished for about four days. <laughs> and after four days, I looked at it and I said, well, you know, this is really okay. And, you know, people like it, people love it, you know, people are excited about it, but it's not me. Whoa. And so after four days, I started some soul searching. And I said, well, re really, what resonates with me? And it took a long time. And it took, you know, it took weeks or months for me to just decide what it was I wanted to do. And that's when I decided. I'd have to build my own house, which is where I'm speaking from right now. I'm in the studio detached. And that's when I decided that I was going back to the basics and I was going back to the tenets of modern architecture. 
that seemed important to me. And I came up with those three back then. That was like 1995. And I said, let me try one of those. And I designed the house that we live in today. And I would say just about every home that we've done since then, and I think I've designed 200 residential projects, 150 homes from the ground up, and probably 120 or 125 have been built. They all come from this. So that was a watershed moment, and it took a lot of soul searching. But it, I think it ended up being something really important and really good for me, and the work resonates with me now. Not like that first one that I mentioned, mm -hmm. but I learned. So I, I guess I learned from my mistakes. That's tremendous. I can't imagine that, that you talk about the soul searching. It's it. That's uh, a one line to say soul searching, but that's a real gut wrencher day and night for you to discover who really is Robert. Uh, yeah, it, it, it took time. It took. It did take. A, it, it was soul searching. It took a lot of time, and it was difficult at times. But every once in a while, I would sort of just get it, and I say, "Uh huh, that's what's important to me." And I've, you know, I've been a student of architecture like forever. I mean, I went to Berkeley, but I feel like most of my education happened after I graduated. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at and learning from architecture my whole life. And so, you know, things just started to resonate with me. And I realized that that's going to be my approach to architecture. Robert, do you still find yourself with a sense of curiosity? Yes. So um, one, one of our... Uh, principles of the firm loves to say that when Robert and I'm, you know, I'm getting up there, I've been in practice for almost 50 years. Let's say we start a new project and Robert's like a little boy at a Christmas tree <laughs> pointing with a new toy. He can't put it down. You know, he just has to do it. And it's true. That's the way I am. You know, I start a new project and I just can't wait to get into it. And every project that's, that we do is new. You know, it has new clients, it has new budgets, it has new sites, all these things that you have to put together to create something that feels right and feels like it'll stand the test of time. Standing that test of time, is there a formal process that you either go through or, or mentally exercise with each client because they are different? That You don't have to give away your secret sauce, of course, but is there a formal process that you go through? Well, there, there is, I mean, there's, there's sort of this, um, this order in which you think about things. And so the first thing I do is I study the land and I get to know it. Okay. So that I can see it in my mind when I'm not there and I've been there and I've walked it and I have felt it. And then I start by playing with plans, building plans, because as I said, we work from the inside out. Space is really the medium of what we what we work with. And that starts with the plan. And then it goes to a section, which is like a plan, but only cut vertically. And that leads to space. And space is what we're working with. And I do that way before I ever think about what the building's going to look like, what the form of the building is going to be, even the materials of the building. I don't even think about that. I think about space, light, views you know, sequence of spaces, how, how, what's a progression of spaces? How do you enter the building? How do you exit it? How do you connect to the inside and the outside? And so I'm starting with the basics. And then the form just sort of 
resolves itself. You know, once you once you have the plan that makes sense and the space that feels right, and that's why you need to be cutting sections all the time, then the rest of it just falls into place. Now, you know, the language that we use, the design language, you know, I've been pretty consistent for a long time. We really try hard to avoid trendy stuff like that first project that I mentioned to you, fads. Uh, I don't have an you know, I never attempt to be cutting edge. It's just not a goal. You know, maybe some of the projects are, but that's not that's not something that I strive for. So it's fairly straightforward. Our buildings are pretty much orthogonal, you know, in terms of their overall formal language. Uh, we use really long horizontal extensions to protect the glass, but also to connect visually inside and outside. And so that the thing, those are the things most people notice about our work. This is terrific. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. We're talking today with Robert Swat, FAIA, and Principal of Swat Myers. You can view them and check them out on the web at swatmyers.com. That's S-W-A-T-T-M-I-E-R-S dot com. Robert, uh, interesting and a little segue from architecture you mentioned that word strive is an artist I like. I'm not sure if you're familiar. His name is Miles Davis. He had said, you know, with his whole work is what do you do? Well, how would you describe, you know, everything you do? Cause it, it's, it's, uh, it's like no one else. And he had said in his raspy voice, I strive for tone. What's your thought on that and how it relates, if it relates to architecture, maybe I'm wrong. Well, tone, I mean, wow, when you think of Miles Davis, you do think of tone. He has such okay, yeah. unique, unique sound. Um, and so music, music's really interesting. It's another one of those arts where I think people are always striving to do better and to learn and to do better. Like I'm always trying to do in architecture. And you are reminding me of something which was very interesting. I'm doing a very large project right now. It's a home, but it's about 20,000 square feet, really big one in the South Bay. And there was a portion of the building where there was a treatment needed to create a sense of view, but also a sense of privacy. So there needed to be some way to obscure the view in from outside, but still allowing the view outside. And I was thinking of a series of vertical elements along this glass wall, which was a corridor. And I turned on, um, it wasn't Miles Davis. <laughs> it was, no, but it was jazz. Sure. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm listening to the jazz, Dave Brubeck. And I'm okay. listening to a Brubeck song, and his, his timing was so unique that I was listening to it, and I let that become the timing or the, the spacing <sighs> of this vertical elements and i loved it and loved it and loved it eventually it ended up being something simpler than that but that's what really got me going on the thing. what is the rhythm of this music and how does that rhythm relate to this problem that i'm trying to solve and it was a really really unusual thing i've never done that before this is very recently and and we actually have the model the physical model of that design with the pattern of the uh, uh, you know, of, of the music in, in uh, physical form. Very exciting. 
Terrific. Wow. I didn't know it was going to go this way, Robert. But. Yeah, and I didn't either. But I, <laughs> and I didn't know that that house was going to go that way, but but it did. And and we have the actual physical model of that sitting in our office right now. Well, so that it, it's is it accurate to say that the that inspiration was from a Brubeck tune? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. I was here at my uh, home studio and I'm listening to jazz, listening to jazz. And I heard this song. And I, and I, uh, I mean, I could sing it to you, but I won't. And, <laughs> uh, but I listened to it and I said, oh, what a fantastic sequence, uh, you know, uh, of timing. And I said, and I said, I'm going to put that into this building right here. That's what I was working on. <laughs> oh, that's utterly brilliant. This is just, this is, this is really special, this moment. I, I hope you know that. That's not a, that doesn't always happen. Maybe it happens, but just no one expresses it. That, well, hey, this is. Yeah, I think this is the only time that's really happened with me. This is a very big building, and it needed lots of sort of sort of different moments. And this was an important moment, and so that was the inspiration for it. Wow! Thanks for sharing. That is outstanding. Sure. Uh, I want to go back, Robert, to the uh, principles and tenets. You've got that one knitted to the uh, land, two space, and then three connecting inside to outside. How would you describe that connecting the inside and the outside to make them, I don't know if the word seamless, but uh, connected. Yeah, seamless is the best word. It is, okay. How do you do that? Well, number one, you do that visually with lots of glass, lots of openings. You do that uh, with materials which are outside that you bring in or inside that you take out. And then you do it through detailing, you know, through very careful detailing so that you minimize the breaks of, of inside and outside. So very flush conditions or, you know, burying, you know, the connections of the glass and the ceilings and the floors and the walls. And all of that tends to do that. Um, we also sometimes have really, really strong exterior uh, uh, horizontal projections, and sometimes they can get very heavy. So we turn them into very light and delicate trellises, which I th- really bring in natural light in a beautiful dappled way, which I love. So that's that's how you do materials and detailing and you know these really strong extensions. Sometimes you'll take a wall out. Sometimes you'll take a floor on a terrace you know, with the same material out, you know, th- those, are, those are pretty simple ways of doing that. And if you, if you were to put a timeline on that, how you arrived at a place of, in, in a way, and I mean this in a very, in a complimentary way, in a beginning, like a, a, with a sense of wonder and newness, that has been, what, 50 years in the making to have that sort of, those principles that they're pretty, uh, you, you almost can't go, you can't hack them. Well, that no, it hasn't been fifty years. And th- those ideas that are <clears throat> you know pretty basic to our work, that that happened about I would say uh, that probably happened in nineteen ninety five. Okay. okay, so that's about thirty years ago. And in nineteen ninety five, that's about the time when I sort of dedicated my career, most of it, the vast majority of it, to doing modern homes. Before that, I was doing a lot of different things and a lot of corporate work. But that's when I decided I'm really going to go after this and and do modern homes, which I absolutely love. And every single one that I that I do is brand new and just as exciting as any other one. Mm. What's your thought on this take? Uh, going back to another artist, uh, I'm trying to think who his name is Ahmad Jamal. Is uh, it's he had said that, uh, he was interviewed. I don't know what station was and. Uh, I'd love to give them a recognition. KCSM. Uh, 
That was a station. It was KCSM. And he had said, uh, the the host had asked him about how you're so creative and you've been so inspirational to everyone else. What, what, who do, who and what do you owe that sort of inspiration for? And he stopped and I was driving on the freeway and he, he said, well, I don't create anything. I simply discover. And mm-hmm. I, I had to, I turned it off because it was so, it resonated so much, turned it off, pulled over just to sit and contemplate on that, that someone who's yeah. as great and a legend as that said, I don't create anything, but I discover. So then I started looking at a lot of things saying, how much is discovery and how much is creation? And wh- I, I'm asking you that question. What, what's your thought on that? Well, number one, I, I, you know, I think there's this lineage in architecture and you know, anybody who says that they're just being super creative and they've invented everything. I mean, I, I'm skeptical of that because I think sort of all the pieces of architecture are there and they've been done by others. And we owe them this tremendous debt of gratitude to what we've learned from them. And I can think of the architects who I've admired, you know, since I got out of school and I discovered them, you know, the work, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention real names, uh, you know, I'll mention Schindler. And incidentally, my grandmother was one of Schindler's first clients, which is pretty wow. amazing. Neutra, who was Schindler's uh, good friend, and they lived together for some time. And Neutra designed the junior high school that I went to. So, you know, I'm very familiar with their work. I lived uh, across the street when I lived in L.A. from the first house by Gordon Drake. Gordon Drake was, you know, he's not remembered by very many people. But for those who don't know who he was, you should find out. Oh, my goodness. Was was he an inspiration? And then much more recently, Ray Cappy, who you know, to me, absolutely one of the greatest masters of residential design. He was a mentor for me from my first year at Berkeley until he passed a couple of years ago. And so when I, I'm not, I'm not afraid to mention these people because I've learned so much from their work. And, and I'm, you know, I'm proud to be, you know, kind of part of that. I like to think that maybe I'm kind of part of that lineage, you know, of, t- of taking these ideas forward. That's what, it, that's what I hope for. Outstanding, Robert. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. Our, uh, our Robert's public service announcement or recognition today is for Doctors Without Borders. The Doctors Without Borders was founded in 1971 in France by a group of doctors and journalists in the wake of war and famine in Nigeria. Their aim was to establish an independent organization that focused on delivering emergency medical humanitarian aid quickly, effectively, and impartially. For more information, feel free to visit their website at doctorswithoutborders.org. We're talking today with Robert Svat, fellow American Institute of Architects and principal principal at SWAT Myers. You can follow them on the web at SWATMyers.com. That's S-W-A-T-T-M-I-E-R-S dot com. Robert, that aha moment, it, it sounds to me almost as if, not that you're looking for that, but 
that's a bit of a striving for tone is that you want that aha moment. And, and to do that requires, a tr- in my opinion, a tremendous amount of introspection, personally and professionally, a tremendous amount of experience. And that level, I'm going to say it again, because I think it's important. And I'd love for you to elaborate a little more on it. Curiosity. Can you share with that curiosity, you know, what it means to you? And I know you've, you shared it with your audience that they told you you're like a, like a boy at Christmas, but share it to you and how that has meaning for you. Well, I always like to try something new, even though you see tremendous consistency in our work because the language is fairly consistent, but the, I always try to discover new things. And I use the medium of architecture to do that. And I, and I love the fact that all the projects that come to us come to us from clients who love our work and are looking for, for us to help create their dream homes. And so I, I, and I treat each one different. Nobody's ever said, make it just like this or make it just like that. They always just want to see where this is going to go. And so, yes, that's part of, that's the creative process of discovering, learning, I, you know, if I wasn't learning every day, I'd probably quit quit being an architect. But I'm, I'm learning every single day. And even though I've been doing this for a long time, I still feel like a kid, kind of like just starting out. You know, when I when I start, when I started the firm, there was this wonderful architect who I used to teach with at Berkeley. His name is Sandy Hershon. And he said, how's the practice going? Because I was I was teaching and starting the practice at the same time. I said, well, you know, I, I, I have no idea. I can't really tell whether this is going well or strong or what. And he said, well, Bob, just relax, be patient, because it's going to take five years to figure that out. So after five years, you know, I was still teaching with Sandy. And he said, well, how's it going? And I said, kind of the same, you know, it's kind of a little tenuous. And this and he said, well, you know, it's not really five years, it's 10 years. And then five more years went by, and I said, I'm not even going to ask you the question, Sandy, but <laughs> that's, that, that's actually true. You really need a lot of patience, and you can't rush architecture, and you can't rush the practice of architecture. In fact, that's why they call it a practice, right? you got to keep practicing. And so you practice architecture until you get fairly good at it. Well, definitely more than fairly good at it. How, what's it like for you when you see a project, I, mean, I don't like to say finished, but where, you know, it's not going to be as involved, you know, and you, you see them have the aha moment, not just yourself, but when you see your clients get that aha moment, what's that like for you? You know, it's for me, it's kind of like, I'll explain sort of like my, my vision of the project becomes really clear when we photograph it. Okay, so what I what I do when we photograph the building is I always go with the photographer because I want to be there when sun comes up and when the sun goes down. So I'm there the whole time with the family, the family living there with the children and all that. But we don't send people away. And I take an entire day from before the sun comes up until evening and into the evening. And by then, I feel like I I understand what was created much more than when it was on paper and much more than when it was under construction, but to feel it, feel what it's like every day there. And when that is finished, I almost feel like I'm saying goodbye. Mm. I'm saying I've created this, you know, with a lot of help from a lot of people. And I feel like I can let it go. 
and I don't dwell on it. And then I just, I move on to the next one. And I'm just as excited about the next one as I was with the first one. That's really special. What would you like to share, Robert, with your audience today that uh, you may, we may not have talked about or uh, touched on? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think we did touch on this. I think architecture takes patience. It takes a lot of work. It like, takes a lot of stamina. And if you've got that and you love it, it's the most rewarding thing I can think of. It's such a rewarding career to be able to create places for people to live and work, but places to live. That's where, I, that's where I'm at right now. And I can't think of uh, a more exciting profession, but obviously from my point of view. Uh, but then again, it takes a lot of patience and you can't rush it. It doesn't come quickly. Robert, it's been an honor and a real pleasure having you as a guest on the show today. I hope I'd love to have you back sometime in the near future if you're open to it, sir. Be my pleasure. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thank you very much, Robert. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast underwritten by Syraclad. Our guest today, our honored guest today, is Robert Swat, fellow of the American Institute of Architects and principal of Swat Myers. For more information, feel free to visit their website at swatmyers.com. That's S-W-A-T-T-M-I-E-R-S.com. You've been, again, listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. Our host for today's show is yours truly, Tom Dior, and the executive audio engineer is Aris Chikopoulos. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening. Cereclad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning, along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Cereclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit cereclad.com.